Well, I tell you, it is unbelievably good to be back. Uh, it, it was only 17 days, actually, that we were in the hospital, but it, it seemed like forever. So uh, I, I just wanted to, to express a couple of things before we get into the, the sermon. First, I, I just wanted to let you know how much Penny and I uh, appreciated just the, uh, the prayers how much we appreciated the comments, the cards, the emails, and so on. I, you know, I, oftentimes I'll hear people say, oh, your, your prayers meant so much, and but it, it really hit home when you're away, when you're isolated. The, the ability to know that you're not forgotten, the ability to, to know and be reminded that the people are not just remembering where you are, but they're praying, they're encouraging, they're, they're sending little notes. It, it really was what held us up uh, over the last two or three weeks. Uh, actually, it's three weeks ago today, and a lot of people have asked exactly what happened, so if you will indulge me, I, I just wanted to sort of, when I have a, a lot of people, I can sort of catch everybody up to what happened and how the accident happened and where situations stand right now. The, um, uh, three weeks ago today, Penny and I and our uh, daughter and our three grandsons, we were going to Williamsburg, Virginia for just a, a vacation with the grandkids. We were caravanning. I was in a, in a car with my oldest grandson and then uh, my daughter, Chelsea, was driving and Penny was in the front passenger seat with the other two grandsons in the back seat. Uh, we were in West Virginia. Rain began to just come down torrentially. We uh, slowed down. There was a, a truck that just zipped past uh, my daughter's car. She began to hydroplane on the, on the road and uh, slid off into the median, and the car began to flip over two or three times. And each time it, it landed on, on the roof as it was flipping, it sort of landed on the corner where Penny was, was seated. So thank the Lord... Everyone other than Penny got out of the car and were fine with just little scrapes and, and bruises, but Penny uh, sustained some significant uh, damage, but God has been, was so gracious that uh, they came, they took her to a, uh, a regional hospital, and the regional hospital immediately said, no, she needs to be in a trauma unit. She was life-flighted, life-flown. She was taken by helicopter from that regional hospital in West Virginia to a, a trauma center in Virginia. Uh, and basically she, has, she had a, a fairly large laceration on her scalp. Uh, she uh, broke her arm in virtually every bone that there is to break. She broke the upper humerus bone, the radial and... Uh, Oh, what? Ulna and radius bone in the wrist. Thank you. She um, broke num numerous bones in her, in her hand. So she has plates in her arm. She has pins coming out in holding things in place. Uh, the, she, they had to do a number of skin grafts on various portion, portions of her arm. Uh, the, the, the good news, well, the great news is that she survived it, which was amazing in and of itself when you look at the, the condition of the car. Uh, everything that has is, is been damaged, uh, and she also broke two bones in her neck, everything that's been damaged is uh, something that is repairable and is able to, to heal over time. So right now she has a brace on her neck for probably a few months 
keep, keeping the vertebrae in place. Uh, there was no compromise to the spinal cord, which we were grateful for, the contusion and, and laceration on her head. Uh, though it was significant, it, there was no brain bleed, so that cognitively she is just fine. Her arm, though mangled, is, is, is being repaired. We were in the hospital there in, in Virginia for, uh, well, till last Wednesday, we were discharged. We drove back home. Uh, we went to, to our home and the next day went in to see our doctor uh, just to connect with, with a doctor. And the doctor said, no, you definitely need to be in at least a rehab center. So Penny right now is in a rehab center here uh, locally. And uh, w what we could use prayer for is the, the, the repairs and the restoration and the skin grafts are doing well. Your scalp is healing well. The, as far as we know, the, the, you know, the, the vertebrae are, are healing well. The, the difficulty is she is extremely sensitive to medication, any kind of medication. So it's just been this huge balance trying to find a medication that doesn't make her sick and, and totally nauseous. Uh, when she doesn't take it, then she's dealing with significant pain. So the prayers will be greatly appreciated that they can find something that will, will keep everything in, in, in balance, both the pain, the nausea, and allow the, the healing to progress. Uh, so again, just so grateful knowing that there's such concern and, and so much prayer. So grateful also, I just wanted to say, just to, and you probably know more than I, but just being able to be gone for for that length of time and it was like we weren't missed at all as far as how how the church has just functioned i appreciate so much our staff our pastoral staff our administrative staff michael uh, just stepped in and, and and gave oversight and leadership incidentally michael and a team were headed or they are probably in brazil right now they left yesterday so let's keep michael and the team uh, in prayer. They're on a mission trip down to Br in Brazil, so that's wonderful, but I appreciate Michael and the entire pastoral staff and administrative staff. Many, you know, many of you are small group leaders. It, it is a good thing to have a church that uh, even though a couple pastors are just all of a sudden not, not around and not able to be involved, just continues to function. And it's just a testimony of, of a church that isn't dependent on any one or two or three people, but a church that really functions on the basis of the, the gifts and the abilities of everybody. So, so that, that's, a, that's a very, very good thing. But uh, thank you for the prayers. Please continue to pray. It's going to be a long recovery period, but one that has no, we have no reason to believe that there won't be full recovery. Right now, Penny, uh, like I said, she's in a rehab center. She will probably, until she's feeling better and, and they got pain and nausea and everything under control, we're, we're asking there be no vis visitors. But continue, feel free to text or write or whatever uh, that, that encourages her uh, tremendously. And hopefully, uh, we'll, we'll see an a, a orthopedist and a plastic surgeon uh, about the skin grafts this week. Hopefully, we'll have some idea. And I, I would hope to believe that in about a month or so, uh, she'll be able to come and, and begin to make appearances here at, at church again and get, get fully involved. So thank you so much. God bless you guys.
All right. We are in a series. You know, the one wonderful thing about uh, being uh, with Penny over the last three weeks, uh, even though in hospitals you don't tend to sleep a lot because they, I think it's part of their job every seven and a half minutes to come into the room, <laughs> flip the lights on and off and, and poke you and say, how are you? And you say, I was sleeping. And they say, good, okay, continue to sleep. Uh, so we didn't get a whole lot of sleep, but we had a wonderful time. We had a lot of time with each other, obviously. We had a lot of time just to spend with the Lord. Had a lot of time just to think about the passage that I am going to be speaking about today. And incidentally, if you hear anything from any of the other people that preach, like, you know, uh, you know Michael, JT, Penny, or whoever, moaning and groaning about the passage that they had to, to uh, address, I don't want you to listen to them anymore. I have a passage I'm talking about today. Uh, my topic today is going to be circumcision. So that's, that's what they give us. So, <clears throat> so we're, we're, we're going to jump right in. Let me go ahead and pray, and, and we'll see what the Lord has for us. Uh, I've had <laughs> three or four weeks now uh, praying about that. <laughs> Father, we, we thank you for this time. I ask that you would give me just clarity of speech and, and, and thought. Lord, allow me to deliver those things that you've been writing on my heart uh, for me, for, for this church family, uh, for this day. So uh, come and, and be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, yeah, as you know, we have been uh, going through a series talking and looking at the patriarchs. Uh, of, of our faith. We are looking primarily in Genesis. We're looking, we've been looking at Abraham, and we'll be touching on Isaac and, and Jacob. The patriarchs of the faith were the, the, the first generations, those who sort of forged a, a path of faith for, for us even today to be walking in. And one of the things that we've been uh, seeing as we've looked in the, the, these chapters of Genesis so far is that we see that God consistently relates to his people through covenants. God ha is a covenant-making God, and by covenant, what I'm talking about, uh, we could say covenant is like a contract, but the concept of covenant is much more than a contract as we think about writing a contract to, to buy a car or a contract to buy a house, because the concept, the, the notion of a covenant is more relational than, than business-like. God is a covenant-making God, and in that uh, by saying that, what I mean is his desire is to enter into an agreement with individuals, the emphasis on the individual, not the emphasis simply on the agreement. God desires to, to say, here's my promise, here's what I intend to do, here's my desire as I relate to you, here's what I intend to do, here's what my expectations of, the, of you are, but he is a covenant-making God, and he's done this from the beginning of time. When he created Adam and Eve, he made a covenant, the Adam, Adamic covenant, where he, he said, Adam, I, I'm calling for you, I'm calling for Eve to be fruitful and multiply. From the very beginning, and this is so important for our topic today, it's so important for us as, as followers of Jesus. The covenants of God, the intentions of God, the purposes of God from, from Adam right on to today into eternity, the purpose of God is to have a people of his own. He says throughout the scripture, 
I will be your God, you will be my people, and each of the covenants, starting with the Adamic covenant with, uh, with Adam and Eve, was to uh, essentially establish foundation for who he is as God and who we can be and how he views us as his people. So he sets his covenant in, in, in order for Adam. He says, I am going to be your God. You'll be my people. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth because it's God's desire to have a people, a family of his own. He's our father in heaven. He's the supreme creator, but he's personal to each individual. And there in the garden, he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden every day. He was there. He was present to them. The sad thing, the sad thing that I find is that so many of God's people, so many of the people that he's called to have relationship with him, fail to realize, fail to experience that, that intimate nature of God saying, come near, know me, and recognize that you are known by me. So many of us are satisfied with sort of shuffling around the periphery in this relationship with God. I mean, I, I think there may be some of us that when we get to heaven and they have the big, you know, the, the big banquet there in heaven, and there'll be a seat right for you. Do you know that? There's gonna be a seat for you and you alone at the table, and it's going to be, I don't know how he's gonna do this, but I'm quite, quite convinced it's gonna be right next to Jesus. I don't know how every one of us are going to be able to sit right next to Jesus, but that's what it's going to be in, in, in my mind. There's a seat for you, but there are some of us who are going to be, you know, we're going to be lurking along the edges of the, of the banquet room. You're going to be sort of hiding behind the, the you know, the, the, I don't know if they'll have fake plastic trees, but you're going to be lurking there, and, and Jesus is going to look over and he's say, come on. There, there's a place for you. And we're going to be, oh, no, that's fine. That's fine. Just glad, glad to be here. You know, hi. But we're not going to enter in fully. We're not going to understand that there, there is a place for us. That there is an invitation into intimacy. And we've become satisfied with something less than being joined in this, this, this relationship, this personal connection to Christ, where we are known and we can know him. That is his purpose. I, he says, I am your God, and you individually and together are my people. In each of his covenants, from the Edenic covenant with Adam right on through, each covenant is to help put that relationship, that connection, knowing what it means to be a people of God in order. After the, the covenant with Adam, he made a covenant with Noah. You remember at the time of Noah, he, he, there was a flood and, and there was judgment because in the entire world it said that Noah was the only righteous person and even that was relative because Noah wasn't perfect. But, but after the flood, he made a covenant with Noah and he said, I will never, never destroy Mankind, I'll never do this again. And you remember there's a sign, a, re, a sign of remembrance. Well, what was that sign? It was a rainbow. After he made that covenant, and he does this often, after the covenant was made, there was a symbol that he put in the sky that all could see of that promise, that commitment, that covenant that he made with Adam and Eve. The rainbow was over all the earth. 
He made a, a covenant. We've been looking at this over the last number of months, I think. We, uh, he made a covenant with, with Abram or Abraham, as he'll come to be known. He made a covenant with Abraham where he said, Abraham, I'm calling you out of this, this city of Ur. He, Abraham and his family were just pagans. And he said, no, I see you. I know you. I'm calling you into relationship with me. And he said, Abraham, from you, I am going to make a people of my own. From you and your wife Sarai, or Sarah, or Sarah as she'll come to be known, I am going to give you my promise, my promise of land. I'm going to make a covenant with you where I'll, I'll give you descendants. And I'm going to make a promise to you, Abraham and Sarah, that I am going to bless every nation on the earth through your descendants. And he, he was speaking of, of Jesus who, who came out of the line of Abraham. So there was a covenant entered into with Abraham. So these aren't separate covenants in a certain sense. They're, they're, they're commitments of God, promises of God, built upon each one, upon each other, all in order to establish this connection where we can be corporately his people, where we can be individually drawn into his presence. There was a Mosaic covenant, a covenant with Moses that gives more definition to who God is and who we are to be before him. All pointing back to his original intention. He wants a people of his own. He wants to say, there is my child. I see them. I know them. And he is continually engaging us and it's our privilege to grow in our ability to understand that engagement, to understand how he's drawing us in. Now, you remember, in speaking about Abraham, who we'll be focusing on today, in chapter 12, he, he made that initial promise to Abraham. In chapter 15, he said, I, I, there'll be a sign, or a sign of remembrance, Abraham, that you could look at to re, be reminded of this covenant. And he, he sacrificed the animals, and uh, I, I'm not going to go over the story, I think Michael taught on it a number of weeks ago, but there was an animal sacrifice, but instead of Abraham having to make any commitment, Abraham was able to, to be, he actually, God laid him down and, and he, he looked up from the ground and he saw God walk between those, those sacrificed animals that had been divided in half. Usually when a covenant was made, a contract was made, both parties would walk between those divided animals and it would be a symbol that if, if either of us don't keep this covenant, let us be like one of these sacrificed animals. But when God made the covenant with Abraham, God said he, he laid Abraham down and Abraham sort of woke up out of this, this woozy sleep and saw God alone pass between those sacrificed animals as if to say this covenant is a one-sided covenant. Abraham, I'm not asking you to have to do anything in order for me to keep the covenant, but I am going to keep my promise. I am going to give you that land. I am going to give you descendants. I'm going to, to bless all the nations on the earth through you. And there was that sign, there was that sign of remembrance for that covenant that he made with Abraham. And today we're going to see God uh, add to that sign a way so that the, the people of God, those that are, are Abraham's offspring, would be reminded of who they are and who God is. 
But the covenants of God are, are, are unconditional. The covenants of God usually are impossible to, that we can't wrap our minds on how God could possibly do it. But God wants us to see that it's his continual active power and provision that makes it possible. So let's jump into it, uh, to the passage today. We're in Genesis chapter 17. Let's go ahead and, and begin and look at, at the passage. In Genesis 17, verse 1, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and, blame, and be blameless. Then I'll make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Okay, question, uh, audience participation here. He, he's 99 years old when God said this. How old was Abraham when the first uh, interaction was made? The first promise of descendants was, was given. How old was he? He was 75. 75 years old when God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you descendants, and I'm going to bless all the nations. Abraham was 75 years old. How many kids did Abraham and Sarah have at the time? None. Why? She was barren. She couldn't have children. For however many years they were married, they wanted, desperately wanted to have children. They were unable to have children. God says, Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants. And God, you know, Abraham thought, God, you, you got the wrong guy here. And he waited 24 years, or he had been waiting to this point in Genesis 17, 24 years. I am sure he figured, yeah, God made a mistake. He probably wanted the other Abraham down the street. He just you know, stopped off at the, at the wrong house because I cannot provide those, those descendants. I cannot have children. Uh, so actually, you remember at one point, and I think this was taught on a few weeks ago, Abraham tried to help God out. You know, God, I, I, I understand you, you didn't realize I couldn't have children. What I'll do, and it was a custom in the day, is I'll take my, one of my wife's maids uh, and, and I'll have a child with her and sort of adopt that child. And that child could be, could be my, the beginning of my, my descendants. Uh, so he had a child through this maidservant, Hagar. He had a child named him Ishmael. And God said, thanks, but no thanks, doesn't count. And, and I'm sure Abraham thought, wait, wait, wait a second, God. 24 years, it's not happening. We've been trying. You know, I assume you've been trying. It, it's not happening. But it wasn't because God forgot. It wasn't because God was unable. There is something happening in the background that we'll be looking at today. Abraham wanted to help God out in fulfilling the covenant. What we see is a, a valuable principle, two valuable principles. One is that when God makes a promise, though his timing isn't often like our time. Have any of you ever had a wait on God for something you thought he, he was going to do? Have any of you been looking at the scripture, hearing a sermon say, yeah, well, that sounds good, but I, I'm not seeing it in my life. That's where Abraham was, was at. But God's timing is so different, so different than ours. We're not good at waiting. But God likes, at times, to give us that opportunity to wait. 
but for a purpose, not just to sort of taunt us, not just to see, are you going to hang in there? How are you doing now? The reason why God oftentimes doesn't come in the, in the immediate time that we would like is because God is interested in relationship. God is interested in building spiritual muscle inside of us where we can hold on to him even in the, the fog and the darkness that we walk in in this broken and fallen world. He wants us to be able to experience his presence even when we don't see the answers, when we don't see the reality of what we believe God should have done or should be doing in the moment. And God was giving Abraham practice, and God gives us practice to do just that. Because God is interested in intimacy. He's interested in relationship. And you can bet in those 24 years for Abraham, there was a, a growing ability to, say, to, to learn how to be able to say, God, I don't see how you're going to accomplish your promises I don't see in this world the fulfillment of your promises, but I'm going to hold on to you and I'm going to believe even in the darkness that I walk. That's what faith is all about. It's holding on to him. It's holding on to the person of Christ even when the answers and even when the, the experience don't match up. God was giving Abraham practice. The, the last three weeks has, has just been a time where I, I recognize and I am, tried the best I can to embrace that same reality, both Penny and I, where God, I, I don't know why this happened. I don't know why the, the timing was now and, and what value this could possibly have. But I, I've, I, I learned through this time, just as I've been trying to learn for the last 40-some years I've been walking with Jesus, how I could not make my goal in life the, the, the comfort and the, the uh, lining up circumstances so they, they fit in my mind, but how I'm able to hold on and find Jesus. And it's going through difficult times, it's going through dark times, going through confusing times that, has, that gives me the practice how to, to push aside all the, the, the questions and make my way to Jesus. That's probably the most important thing that I can learn. That's definitely the most important thing that we can learn in this walk of faith. How do we find the person of Christ in the midst of all the distractions, in the midst of all the, the, the confusion, in the midst of the fog, in the midst of, of the circumstances that we're dealing with, how are we able to, to push that aside and refocus and, and find that hopefully frequently trod path that brings us into the presence of Christ? And it was something that was extraordinarily valuable as, as Penny and I were there in the, in the hospital room with so many questions and so many distractions and so many what-ifs to be able to push them aside for the moment and say, Jesus, 
what I need right now, more than the answers to these questions, what I need is you. I need to find you. And there were many times in the, in the middle of the night that it, even though there were so many things that were, were confusing and so many things that were of great concern, where in those moments when I was able to find him, there was a peace, like it says in Philippians 4, a peace that goes beyond comprehension, a peace that, he, that I found in finding him, sometimes through great difficulty, and it took a long time, and sometimes, sometimes I couldn't, but the, a peace that goes beyond the circumstances that comes from a person as I grow in my ability to learn what it means to be his child and for him to be my God. God was giving Abraham practice during those 24 years. This, is, this is, was his path. So we, moving on, verse 3, it says, Abraham fell face down. God had said, I'm going, to, you know, I'm going to fulfill this promise to you. Abraham fell face down. I've been thinking, I've been waiting for 24 years. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be a father of many nations. Abraham, I have not changed my mind, in other words. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very faithful. I will make nations of you. The king uh, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Again, that's his passion, relationship. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. What's the most common phrase in that passage? I will. I will. No conditions. No, I will if and only if, Abraham, you do this. I will only if, Abraham, you keep your side of the bargain. It was a promise of God for relationship. Do you hear that? The intention of God is relationship. The intention of God is relationship. His intention doesn't start with behavior. It doesn't start with obedience. It doesn't start with, with you, you, you need to, to learn how to walk rightly before me. It starts with relationship. It starts with, I want to be your God. I want to be your father. I want you to be my child. You are my people. God's is steadfast continually since the creation of, of Adam. <coughs> continually moving towards this purpose. This purpose. He never has lost sight. He, he didn't get sidetracked during those 24 years. And even our faithlessness doesn't get in the way. Abraham had a number of stumbles, but God was faithful. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, it says, even when we are faithless, God is faithful. God generally puts us in positions where he calls us to watch him 
do the possible. He puts us in positions where we can learn how to step in the darkness. Because in this world, this broken world, in our broken bodies, in our broken souls, with broken people, and broken pastors, and broken parents, and broken spouses, broken friends, and broken bosses, much of this life is not going to add up and look like God is always in control. But God is actively pursuing us and training us, teaching us how to find him. And as we get our eyes pried off the brokenness and pried off the circumstances going on around us and be able to see him, it's like, okay, there you are. Like a, like a little child. You know, sometimes I would take JT in particular. JT was a wanderer. We'd go to the mall. We'd go to the Ohio State Fair or whatever. And if you didn't keep an eye on him every second, he would just wander off. And then he'd get panicked. You know, and, and, and all of a sudden, you, you'd see him. And he didn't see you. And he's just looking around. And there's this, you know, the panic in his face. And then he sees you. And it's like, okay. And it's like us. When we keep our eyes, when we learn to fix our eyes on, on Jesus, all that's going on around us just seems to, okay, it's going on, but there's my source. There's my comfort. That's what God is teaching us. And now, practice, practice isn't going to make us perfect, not in this life, but practice is going to result in increasing intimacy. So, continuing, verse 9, Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant. The word there, keep, basically means to be a bodyguard. You must watch and guard over, be focused and aware of my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. And this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And this, I'm sure, got Abraham's ear. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, your, any servants that you have acquired, for those who, who are uh, not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people because he's broken my covenant. So God tells Abraham that his responsibility is to remember, to be a bodyguard, to be, be keenly aware that there's a covenant that, that, a, that God has made with him, that God wants to be his, their God, they are to be their people. And, and similar to baptism, similar to, to communion, it's an outward sign of the intentionality of God to be faithful to his people. When last week you had people baptized here, it was an outward sign of the faithfulness of God who died on the cross as their substitute. And that was a, a, a way to be reminded. When we take communion each, each uh, weekend, it's an outward sign of the faithfulness of God to pour out his 
blood, to put his body on the cross as our substitute. It helps us to be bodyguards, if you will, to be reminded of the faithfulness and the covenant that God has made. But can you imagine Abraham going back, gathering all of his, you know, extended family and servants and all, you know, Lot and cousins and nephews, and he gathers them around and said, guys, God has wanted to institute a a sign, a sign of remembrance for this covenant that he's made with me. And they say, okay, good. What what is it? Uh, Is he going to give us a rainbow? That was cool. No, not, not a rainbow. Okay, animal sacrifice. Should we get the animals? No, sorry, guys, it's not animal sacrifice. He says, God, God wants all the men who are alive now and, and our children for in the future to all get circumcised. Go, <laughs> it sounded like you said we're to get circumcised. He goes, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's the sign of this covenant. I say, What? And you can picture, the, the women are sitting there saying, could be worse, you know. <laughs> but this is, this is because God, God wants them to understand a few things. I mean, there are health reasons, but one of the reasons why I think he's established circumcision at that moment is because he didn't want there to be people who are insincerely people who were feigning, who were pretending they believed, just jumping on the bandwagon. Remember when John the Baptist was baptizing the individuals? There were people who were coming to be baptized, and John said, you're, you have, you're not placing your faith in God. You're just, you're just followers. You're just you know, jumping on the bandwagon. There's little chance that there was going to be anyone jumping on the bandwagon with this being the, the outward sign. But beyond that, I believe one of the reasons why God instituted circumcision is he wanted them to count the cost. There's a cost in our choosing to follow God. Or at least there ought to be a cost. We need to, in other words, take it seriously. And we, we live in a culture that enters into agreements so quickly and breaks them so easily. I believe God wants us, even today, to be reminded that, that there's a cost. There are people around the world, Calm and Jen, when they shared a number of months ago, they were the ones that uh, minister and plant churches in Muslim countries. When, when those Muslim converts got baptized, many of them were beaten, were ostracized, lost jobs, were put out of their families. There was a cost in following Jesus. And sometimes, unfortunately, in our culture, there, there's no cost. There's no, there's no serious thought given to, I'm choosing to follow God to lay down my rights and give him control in my life. Verse 15, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, Sarai, your wife, she is no longer to be called Sarai. Her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her, and I will surely give uh, give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations, kings of peoples, will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a son at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael, you know, he's not giving up on this, if only Ishmael might 
live under your blessing? Could he be the son of promise? Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear a son, and you will call him Isaac, and, he, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And, and Abraham, like you and I, he, he believed, but he needed help in his unbelief. He, he fell down and, and laughed to himself, but he still personally was circumcised, as was his household, even before she got pregnant. That's what it looks like to walk as a, as a man or woman of faith, where we say, I don't have the answers, but I'm willing to defer my right to have the answers. See, the people of God are called to be faithful, but not faultless. We're called to, to, when we fall and stumble and when our eyes drift, to be willing to get back up and say, okay, I, I, I need to find you again in this situation, Christ. You know, Abraham wasn't faultless. You know, he had tried to pawn his wife off and give her away to, to be the, the Pharaoh's wife because, you know, he, he was afraid for his own skin. He, he said, oh, she's just my sister. He, he produced Ishmael, which was a, a, a nice try, but it wasn't what God was intending. He, was, he needed to continue to be faithful. You know, a, a, another requirement, a characteristic, if we want to be people of God is that when we do stumble, and this is something that's important for many of you to, to hear, that when we do stumble, when we do fall, that we don't enter into a, this, a period of time where we just begin to beat ourselves up. Internally, we're just angry at ourselves. Internally, we're just... Any of you are beat myself up type people? You don't have to answer that. You know, that, that is so characteristic of so many of us. We just, we just beat ourselves up when we fail. And, and what I want to tell you, and this isn't going to, this might hurt. When we beat ourselves up after we fall, it, it's, that's not humility. It's really pride. Because here's what we're saying. When we beat ourselves up, we're saying, Jesus, your death, your burial, your resurrection, your sacrifice on the cross was good enough for every other human being that lived, but for me, I'm special. And I have to add to your sacrifice, add to the punishment that you took by punishing myself so that I could be worthy. It's an affront to Christ when we beat ourselves up, when we speak ill of ourselves, when we, when we just try to, you know, punish ourselves, thinking that will make us more worthy. It's an affront to the cross of Christ because either Jesus' death and Jesus' sacrifice was enough without us adding to it our own condemnation. Either Jesus took our condemnation or he didn't. So beating ourselves up just needs to be put aside. It's an affront to Christ. It doesn't make him think that you're more sorry. It just makes him realize you don't understand the gift that he's offered. We need to be willing as people, the people of God, to walk 
continually further and further into intimacy. Even when times are confusing. Even when it doesn't make sense what he's asking for us. Do you think it made sense to one Israelite, one of Abraham's uh, descendants or, or household, when he told them, I want you to be sacrificed or to be circumcised? It doesn't make sense. But we continue to walk towards intimacy with Christ, even though we don't have all the questions that we want answered, we can walk towards him. Where we say, Jesus, as much as I would like to know, how does this, this accident we have make sense at this time? Why, what is the purpose? What is the reasoning for this? But more than that, what I had to come to in the, in the hospital, what Penny had to come to, is more than having the answer to that, I just need to find you. You know, I need to be willing to defer my right to understand why it's happening, why this time, and I'm willing to put that aside if I can find your presence in the midst of this. That's, that's the MO of the people of God. And sometimes we succeed, and sometimes it's, it's harder than others. Now, what I'm confident of is this. When I get to heaven, and when I see Jesus, and I ask him about the, 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 all that's taking place, when he gives me the answer, I'm going to be able to say, oh, that, that makes sense. You know, when I'm in heaven, and I can see and understand and know all things, then I'll be able to say, okay, that makes sense. But until then... I just need to lay aside my right to know. What does it look like to be a covenant people? It means that we refer, we refuse rather, to negotiate our service to God because we don't like what God is doing or not doing. Sometimes it's spiritual pouting. God, I don't like what you did or what you allowed or what you didn't do, so you just don't get me fully. I don't like how you're dealing with me, so I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to talk about you. I'm not going to spend any time with you. And we, 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 it's spiritual pouting. And, and it, it, it's destructive to us because we don't get to come and be with him and find a peace that goes beyond the circumstances. We just, we just pout. You know, we, we walk with him through those dark times. You know, one of the things that I, I, I see and I hear a lot is, you know, in fact, I got a, uh, an email while I was in Virginia at the hospital from someone up from our church who said, you know, Danny, you need to be willing to just get angry with God and shout at him and tell him what you think of him because and, 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 he can take it. And I thought to myself, yeah, I know we can take it. But why would I do that? Why would, I mean, I was honest with God about what I, what I was dealing with. I'm not talking about not being honest. But why would I yell and scream and throw a, a temper chant, tantrum like, like a two-year-old with someone who's already proven that he's loved me, who's already been willing to go to the cross for me, take a punishment that I deserved upon himself. Why would I take a posture 
where I was, would push him away and, and throw a temper tantrum like a two-year-old with someone that I, I need more of, not less of. And if we are wanting to grow as being the people of God, that, that's what it involves. It involves doing those things that allow us to engage in that intimacy and not in disconnection. Let me just finish with this. In Romans chapter 2, verse 29, it says, A person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And the circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not written, or not by some written code. And such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. See, the people of the covenant, if we're going to be people of the covenant, like Abraham and his descendants are, we need to realize that we've been grafted in. We are, we can, we are the, the descendants of Abraham spiritually as we circumcise our hearts, as we allow our hearts to be set aside for him and him alone. And when we make it our intention to be joined to him, and not just join to a club or join to a bunch of rules, but we are people of God because we make it our intention to be joined with him. Well, why don't you stand up? Here's how I want to end. We're not going to have a prayer time per se. We're going to have a time of consecration. It's just a fancy word meaning a time of separating ourselves for his purposes. And, and there may be some of us here today who are, who've been pouting. There may be some of us today who've been throwing temper tantrums. There may be some of us today who are just caught in the midst of the darkness and the fog. And what Jesus is, is asking for, what Jesus is inviting us to, is just to find him, to say, Jesus, you and seeing you and the peace that comes when my eyes can, can be pushed, when I can push away the distractions and find you, that's enough. And today I want us to have a time where those of you who want to join me up front can just say, that's the intention of my heart. That's my purpose. Not to have all the answers for life, but to have you and find you. So we're going to sing one final song. And if you want to join me at the front, just saying, here I am, teach me, give me practice so I can learn how to be your child and walk with you, join me up front, okay?
Today, we just want to give ourselves individually and as a, as a church family to you. We want to learn and grow in our understanding and in our experience of what it means to be your people, to have you as our God. Jesus, we, we push aside the distractions and the, the darkness of the valleys that we may be walking through. We push aside the, the confusion and the questions that have gone unanswered. We push aside our, our tendency to pout and our tendency to throw temper tantrums. But we come before you. We come before you and we ask that you would manifest your presence manifest your peace come holy spirit take our hearts and circumcise our hearts make them different make them separate for you and you alone we embrace you jesus we seek after you we want to learn to find you in the difficult times and we give ourselves to those things that can help us find you. Make our hearts quick to respond to your whispers. Make our, our hearts quick to do those things that can help us be brought into your presence. Take hold of us as individuals, as families, as a church family. You are our God. Teach us what it means to be your people. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen.